from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Good morning. My name is Melissa Trimble, and I'm an elder currently serving on session here at First Pres. Please join me in the call to worship. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. God drew me up from the desolate pit, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. The Lord put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Please join me in our scripture lesson from in the New Testament on page 26, Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five of them were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise said, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the word of the Lord. As we continue in our summer sermon series on the parables, I'd invite you to join me in a word of prayer. Lord, teach us what it means to be a people of Advent. Teach us what it means to wait for you. Break open this word afresh to us so that we might be different people than those who came into this sacred space, even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, a few years ago, I responded to a personal plea from the commissioner of our younger son, Luke, his U6 kinder soccer program. 
The commissioner emailed and asked if I would be a head coach for one of the teams. She knew I had coached basketball in this same rec association, and because they were shorthanded for the soccer season, thought I could easily lead a squad. I agreed, but there was a slight problem. I had never coached soccer before, nor had I ever played it as a kid or in my teenage years. If I were going to be a good coach and not let those kids and their parents down, then I was going to have to overcome this deficit. And so I studied. I went online and I watched free coaching videos. I called a friend who was the head soccer coach for the women's team at a local university, and she, she gave me drills and activities that I could use for my first couple of practices. And so I mapped it out minute by minute, drill by drill. I, I wanted to get it so right. I wanted it to be fun, instructional, and engaging. I was a bit nervous as the first practice came. I met the kids and their parents. I followed my script minute by minute, and the practice actually went quite well. Everyone seemed to have fun. The parents thanked me for a great practice as they left the field, and I felt really good about myself. And so I mapped out the second practice, and I mapped out the, the third practice, and lo and behold, those two practices turned out to be just as good, maybe even better than the first one. My confidence was high until I received an email from one of the dads. <laughs> Quote, hi, Tony. I hope you're doing well. I'm a little concerned about our soccer practices. I feel that the practices could be more fun and lively like the other group that I see practicing on the field next to us. I'm a little disappointed with the drills and activities in our group compared to that other group. Please don't take this negatively at all. <laughs> but I wanted to just point out my view. I apologize if I have offended you in any way, as this is not my intention. We'll wait to hear from you, smiley face, and then he signed off. My first thought was defensive, right? I mean, you gotta be kidding me, right? I'm totally fun. <laughs> I mean, I have a lot of shortcomings in my life. I have a lot to overcome. I have a lot of things I need to work on. But being energetic and lively and fun, they're not part of that equation. What is this guy talking about? My second thought was self-doubt. Maybe, maybe he's right. Maybe I lack the experience and the skill to coach five-year-old soccer. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should resign and ask someone else to coach. Otherwise, I might ruin their chances to play professionally someday. <laughs> then I reread the email. And something didn't jive. As I looked at his daughter's name, I did recognize it as a player, recognize her rather, as a player on my roster, but I also noted that she hadn't shown up 
to any of the practices that we held in the beginning of the season. So I called him. Just as an aside, it's always good. If you get a confrontational email, don't write back. Pick up the phone. Call, right? That was totally free advice, right? <laughs> call. I said, I think there may be a little mix-up. I have your daughter on my roster. She's on my team, but she has not yet attended any of our practices. He said, yes, she has. She's been to all three, Wednesday nights, 6 p.m. She's been there. I said, that's the right day. It's the right time. But are you sure you're at the right field? He said, yes. Aren't you the really tall, skinny guy with big, curly hair? <laughs> that's not funny. <laughs> I said, no. I'm bald, I'm right under six feet. To which he responded, oh my goodness, you're the coach, you're the team, yours are the players I've been watching. <laughs> Somehow, the other coach, whose team practiced at the exact same time as us, but on a different field, just brought this little girl on to his team without checking her name against his roster, and lo and behold, her father was watching my awesome and fun practices. <laughs> See, he and his daughter, they were in the wrong place at the right time. They were in the wrong place at the right time. I think the parable set before us this morning Part of the interpretive key to it is understanding what it means to be in the wrong place at the right time. There are 10 bridesmaids waiting for a groom to arrive with the rest of the wedding party and to celebrate a marriage. We're told the five bridesmaids brought extra oil for their lamps. Jesus, in this text, calls them wise. And five more who did not bring enough oil for their lamps, Jesus calls them foolish. Right away, as these two words are attached to these two different cohorts of bridesmaids, we begin to think, of course, this is, this is a story about being prepared, about being prepared with enough oil as the party is about to begin. It is important to note that all 10 of the bridesmaids are waiting, and as they wait, they become drowsy, says Jesus, and they fall asleep. And at midnight, the sound of a cry declaring that the bridegroom had almost arrived wakes them from their slumber. They quickly get up, and they trim their lamps. Now the five bridesmaids who are short on oil ask their sisters if they can borrow some. It's a logical request. And you would think in a parable of Jesus, there would be an ethic, a value of generosity to uphold that. And yet there is no generosity to come from these five who have oil. They do not share with the five whose lamps have, have run dry. The, the founder of the, the Methodist tradition, John Wesley, uh, sought to interpret this lack of generosity. It's, it's hard to interpret this bit. You expect generosity to come. 
So Wesley was, was working through the interpretation of this text, trying to figure out why the generosity didn't come. And he began to frame his own interpretation through the lens of personal responsibility in terms of our relationship with God. He once wrote that the lamp is a metaphor for our personal faith. He argued that we all individually have to be prepared when Jesus comes. We have to have the oil of righteousness. We have to be prayed up and worshiped up and scriptured up and missioned up so that this oil can be part of the lamp of our faith so it can continue to burn as we wait for the coming of Christ. That was Wesley's defense of the women who refused to share. You cannot borrow someone else's faith. You can't borrow someone else's faith. A person has to take responsibility for the nurturing and renewal of one's own relationship with God. I think that statement is right. I think that statement is true, that each and every one of us is accountable for our relationship with God. But I'm not quite sure that his exposition here actually meets and, and connects to the meaning of this particular text. See, after this request is denied, the five bridesmaids who are short on oil make a decision. And I think this is the turning point of the story. They make a decision. They will leave their post in search of more oil. They will go and find dealers where they can buy more oil so they can come back and meet the bridegroom for the party. Now, up until this point, sermons we have heard before or even our own natural instincts lead us to believe that this parable is about being prepared. A message of being prepared plays well in a North American context where people are, are, are told we got to pull ourselves up by the, our bootstraps and make our own way. We've got to be prepared. This kind of sermon is great on Boy Scout or Girl Scout Sunday. Be prepared. Have enough oil in your lamp. Be prepared for when Jesus is going to show up in your life or when he is going to come again to finally put the world right. Have enough hope. Have enough love. Have enough good works. Have enough religious habits and knowledge so as to keep your lamp burning. But what if this parable is not about preparedness. What if this parable is not really about oil? Who has it and who doesn't? The five bridesmaids, they make a decision. They go off in search of more oil and they come back and they discover that the groom has already arrived. And the door to the party is shut. Matthew writes, later, the other bridesmaids came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. And Jesus closes the parable with these words. He says, keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Now think with me for just a second here. If this parable is about preparedness, if it's about being prepared to receive Jesus in our day-to-day -day lives, 
as a gift of the Holy Spirit, or if it's about being prepared to receive him when he comes again to put the world right. Why didn't Jesus close this parable by saying, be prepared therefore, you know neither the day nor the hour. Instead he says, stay awake. Stay awake. The Greek word here is Gregorio, and it means to be vigilant. It means to pay attention. It means to be disciplined in such a way that is observing what is happening in your life and in the world. It just might be that these five bridesmaids are called foolish, not because they failed to bring enough oil, but instead are called foolish because they stopped keeping watch. They left their post. Their problem is not that they were short of oil. Their problem is that they were in the wrong place at the right time. Because the groom was still on his way. And whether they had oil or not, he was still going to show up. If this interpretation has any validity, then a deeper truth comes to us through this text. For if Jesus is the groom, and we're instructed to stay awake, to be vigilant, and to keep watch for his coming in our day-to-day lives, and to keep watch for his coming to, to finally, once and for all, put the world to rights, then maybe what this parable is saying is that it's better to wait for him in the dark than it is to leave your post when he shows up. It's better to wait in the dark because even if you're waiting in the dark, even if you're waiting in the dark, this groom is Jesus himself. And his light is enough for anybody whose oil has run out. His light is enough for you and for me and for the world. Metaphorically speaking, many of us might feel as if there are areas of our lives where we are waiting in the dark. It feels like that where we're waiting in the dark, and maybe we feel like we're running out of oil, and the light is growing more and more dim. All that we have pursued to fill the lamps of our lives is just not burning as bright as it once had. When that happens in our lives, when when darkness begins to creep in and the light begins to dim and the oil begins to run out, there is a temptation for the Christian to lose focus on the one who is ready and able and willing to bring light into your life once more. To bring the light that you and I so desperately long for. When God is ready to do something new and fresh in our lives, some of us are found to be in the wrong place at the right time because we've gone out to the dealers in search of oil. I don't know what the oil in your own life represents, 
But all of us try to find the dealers. All of us are constantly encouraged to not live in the dark. This thing or that thing, this person or that person will surely bring the light you need. Christian preachers are not exempt from this, selling this type of gospel. If I hear another, here are 10 easy steps to bring more light into your life, I don't know what I would do. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is this. There is nothing in this world that will ever burn as bright as Jesus Christ. Nothing. No job. No experience that we're longing for. No sport. No report card. No political platform. No presidential candidate. No portfolio. No stock market. No zip code. No measure of power or success. Nothing burns as bright as Jesus Christ and his love and his mission for us and for the world. But let's be honest, it, it is hard, ooh, it's so hard to wait in the dark. Some of you are in the darkness right now know exactly what I'm talking about, how hard it is to wait in the dark. The five bridesmaids prove that to be so, don't they? In those moments of darkness, we can become anxious or scared and become indecisive, and we, we make our life about seeking these oils that we really don't need. What I invite us to remember this morning is that before we leave our post, before we go after the oils of this world, that we might remember that God's grace exists in the darkness too. It is that grace, I do believe, that gives us patience and hope that Christ's light will shine once more. God's grace can be found as we wait in the dark. God's grace can be found in our choice to keep watch, to stay awake, to not go after oil that will burn out quickly. God's grace can be found as we wait in the dark. Because as Barbara Brown Taylor has written, new life starts in the dark. She says, whatever it is, if it's a seed in the ground, a baby in the womb, or Jesus in the tomb, new life always starts in the dark. And life can only happen because of God's grace. She continues, she says, even when light fades and the darkness falls, as it does every single day in every single life, God does not turn the world over to some other God. Here is the testimony of our faith. Darkness is not dark to God. The night is as bright as the day. Friends, the darkness may be the right place for us to wait and to keep watch. And as we keep watch, as we worship, as we pray, as we serve, as we learn to stay awake and as we learn to be vigilant for the light of the world to shine upon us, may we learn to pray the words of the psalmist from the 80th chapter, the third verse. Show the light 
of your countenance, O God, and we will be saved. Amen. That's our, our longing that we long for God's love and God's light to glow with us, within us like, like a fire, as the hymn says. But sometimes we have to wait for that light uh, in the dark. And friends, be encouraged. It's better to wait in the dark than to be somewhere else when God is ready to do something new and fresh and amazing in your life. For the journey ahead, may Christ's light and his peace abide with you still, a peace guaranteed by God that surpasses all understanding. May it guard your hearts and your minds in Christ and live inside of you this day and forevermore.